This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances, the podcast where we take you down the rabbit hole into the fantastic world of the strange, the paranormal, and the unknown. I'm Morgan Knutson. And I am Mike Santa Claus Brown. It is time to dim the lights and settle in. Come along with us on this week's chilly adventure. How come you got a nickname? Well, I don't know. I just gave it to myself. (laughs) Well, I need a nickname now. It's our show. You can do whatever you like. Well, people often say I, I look like an elf, so maybe I have to go with elf. You are elf-sized. I'm elf-sized, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I have to go with that. I don't know. You could. I'm okay with that. It's Christmas, so Merry Christmas. It is. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it's actually Christmas Day that people are listening to this episode, so... I love that. I, the timing of this was so perfect, and I, I can't even think of a better way of celebrating than sitting down to, well, us, of course, but also the fact that this subject is so strange and so fascinating to me. Like, I learned so much right? talking to Chad, so I can't wait for this. Well, there's so many strange customs around the world for Christmas. I mean, obviously, not everybody celebrates Christmas, so it'll be something else. But oddly, in Japan, they have Kentucky Fried Chicken sometimes and a cake. So, Merry Christmas! Let's have Kentucky Fried Chicken and a cake. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah. I'm good with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. In Wales, South Wales in particular... There is an undead horse that parades around their villages to celebrate the happiest time of the year. And this dates back to Celtic time. So it's probably more related to solstice than it is Christmas. But can you imagine? It's like, Merry Christmas. Oh, look, it's an undead horse. (laughs) Just new meaning to beating a dead horse. (laughs) Right? Oh, boy. I mean, speaking of beatings, Chad will get into that in a, a little bit when we talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> he really will, because I, I, as, as always, I mean, he always brings the most interesting stories. Right? I just did a little bit of research before we started talking and finding some of this weird stuff. Like, for example, in Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, the days leading up to Christmas are marked with an event known as the Night of the Radishes. And so people great. <laughs> carve spooky radish things. Uh, it's like creepy oh. Cthulhu-looking radishes that they're carving. That reminds me of the 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 very old like 1800s carving the the like the radishes and the old root vegetables uh, for Halloween. Yeah, f- for Halloween. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, in the Ukraine they have uh, spider webs. Uh, they celebrate Christmas with spider webs on their windows, which is interesting, you know, yeah. highlighted with their little fairy lights and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's There's so much. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite Christmas stories that has gone around for the longest time, and I don't know where it started from, but it was about a, a spider that lived in this, this house. 
And the spider, I, I believe it was in order to, to thank the people for allowing him to be there and not killing him. I, I think this is how the story went. He, in the middle of the night, decorated the entire Christmas tree in sparkling webs. And when they got up the next morning, the entire tree was decorated. And it was it's always been like one of my favorite Christmas stories was with this little spider. And I thought, so that that's really cool. Yeah, if you want to Google the legend of the Christmas spider that's to what learn it is. more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's the Ukrainian uh, thing. That's that's where that comes from. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, have, yeah. I, I love that story. I think it's just, it's so precious and, and whatnot. And I, and th- I mean, I, I had the, the, the benefit of working with Chad on a book, uh, Winter Legends and Lore, uh, a couple mm-hmm. of Christmases ago. And I tell you, the stuff I learned doing, because uh, I did the, the forward and the illustrations for it, and I had no idea about half of the the stuff that we do on like every year that we do th- symbols like holly and uh, mistletoe and sitting by the fire. I had no idea that like werewolves w- were involved in these things, but you know I learned. Right. <laughs> There's so much creepiness around Christmas time that people sort of leave out. There is. You know, t- I love it. Tis the season to be creeped out. It absolutely is. Well, let's talk to Chad and let's continue do, speaking, this discussion. <laughs> speaking of being creeped out, let's talk to Chad. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. So Merry Christmas, everybody, first of all. Ho, 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 etc. cetera. <laughs> you know, this is so nice. I love it. This is like my favorite time of year. So this is so great. So Chad, Merry Christmas. Hey, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you. This is just so nice. And, uh, you know, I, I love I love this subject. And because, I mean, everybody that doesn't know where I'm from, I'm from Alberta. So and in Alberta, it is the it is very it's the canadian mirror of wisconsin basically is is what it is and it's it's cold and oftentimes very snowy although it's not very snowy right now and uh yeah so this is one of my my favorite subjects and mike you're in vancouver so i mean you don't you don't get snow we we see it once in a while uh last winter there was a bit of it <laughs> but uh, i'm good with it i grew up in nova scotia though so I remember the photos my dad used to take of the snow piled right up to the eaves. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So I so let's get this started because I'm as I'm passionate about this this subject too. Chad and I, Chad, you you and I did a a book 
um, last winter called Winter Legends and Lore. And what a freaking blast that was. And what a learning experience for me <laughs> that I did not know about half of this, half of this stuff and half of these stories. How did you get so passionate about winter? What is it for you? Well, for me, I think a lot of people get depressed after Halloween because it's their favorite season of the year. And then darkness just starts to come uh, without anything to look forward to. For me, I love the winter season growing up here in the United States and Wisconsin. It was something you couldn't avoid. So I thought I may as well embrace it. Let's see what the darkest days of the year have to offer me. And that's what really got me started uh, researching and trying to really dig deep into this holiday season. Oh, yeah, because there is there is an air about it. Like, I mean, of course, there's the classic Christmas Christmas magic. Everybody's excited. But there's there's another deep, Mm -hmm. almost darkness to it that I can't wait to get into today because this is most people, I think, don't don't know it or don't realize it. it what do you think causes people to be so fascinated by winter because it feels to me like the folklore around winter is so much more vast than the other seasons one winter lasted in most parts of the world that experienced winter for a very long time mm-hmm. so you needed things to keep you going it was hard to think about surviving the entire winter season food, storms, blizzards, and the like. This is at a time when you're living in shelter without electricity, no running water. You might not even go out for months on end except to get more firewood. So people needed things to keep their sanity. So it was tough to try to make it through all winter, but if you could make it to the solstice, you'd have a party and celebration. And then if you could make it to Christmas, you'd have a celebration. Then New Year's Eve and then the Epiphany. So Little by little, these small steps, and next thing you knew, spring was on its way. So people really wanted to gather. And it was a time when most people had a lot of free time on their hands. Mm. You couldn't do a lot of farming in the winter, so you could mend clothing and work on your tools and the like. But it was a time when you had that kind of freedom to get together with people in the region and celebrate and you know, something that would not happen in the summer. Yeah. And you just brought up the winter solstice. So let's, let's start there because when we think about it now, I, you know, I, it's, it's really something that's, that's typically celebrated and, uh, you know, it's looked upon with, with great reverence. And I think a lot of people don't realize that traditionally the solstice was thought to be one of the most powerful nights in which spirits and creatures and beings would actually be able to come back to this world. We yeah, like it's, seriously, Mike, it's it's crazy. So, so, Chad, talk about the winter solstice a little bit. I think people really get it wrong. They talk about the solstice as being the shortest day of the year when they really should be celebrating. It's the longest night of the year, mm-hmm. and I think that for a lot of people. Darkness is where evil and creatures and monsters, witches, ghouls, they all lurk in the darkness. So it makes sense that on the longest night of darkness would be their Halloween, so to speak. And this was a night where it was really thought that creatures could come back. And not only could they come back and come after you, 
they had the most power on this day. Not Samhain, not you know Halloween as we know it, but it was the solstice, which is why so many communities would gather around giant bonfires hmm. to protect them, to bring light to the darkness, and to ward off evil spirits. And this eventually transitioned into having a fire in your home, in your fireplace on the solstice, to keep people away, monsters away, and bring light into your home. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, people knew the solstice as a very sacred and important day, but one that also should be looked at with some fear and apprehension. It's so spooky when you th- when you think about it like that. Like it reminds me of the film uh, that came out a number of years ago called Thirty Days of Night, and around uh, around mm-hmm. that time, yeah, with uh, you know the idea was in Barrow, Alaska, when there's just night all the time, and these vampires show up and you know destroy this town and and, and whatever. And it remi- it reminds me so much of this. And it, so people started doing things, Chad, too, to try and ward off like the fireplaces and things like that but they also were using things like iconic things like holly and mistletoe and and stuff like that too right imagine walking through the woods like we do today in the winter and everything's dormant or dead or in a state of dying yet here are these evergreens that are out there the holly the mistletoe the ivy not only are they alive they seem to be flourishing So if they could ward off the power of winter, they must have some paranormal properties to them. So people thought of them as sacred plants. And over the years, things would spring up that, you know, holly would prevent, if you put it in your house or in your barn, it would prevent weather uh, from affecting your home. It would stop your house from being hit by lightning. Um, It would... Uh, protect you from minor illnesses. And ivy was the same way. And of course, mistletoe was thought to cure poisons and protect you from disease and all all sorts of weirdness. It could prevent headaches and nightmares. So all these plants were thought to be not only able to repeal witches and ghouls and goblins, which seemed to be lurking everywhere in those days, but also they had some medicinal benefits as well. And that's why it was so important to bring them into your home. But there's a catch to that is you can put holly or mistletoe or ivy wherever you want outside, whenever you want, leave it up all year round on the barn, on your fence gate, whatever. But if you want to bring it inside, you cannot do it until Christmas Eve. Otherwise it will bring you bad luck. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. I guess you could put it, pin it over your door before then and keep witches out, but inside if you wanted it, nope. So people bringing mistletoe to the office Christmas party and putting it over their pants are bringing themselves bad luck, especially if it's before Christmas Eve. Yeah, outside of a lawsuit, they're bringing <laughs> bad luck as well, yes. Um That might be a good opportunity to leave it at home there, but yes. And then one of my favorite pieces of folklore about all these evergreens, and of course there's a ton, but the idea that once you were done with it, the season was over, you were getting rid of it. You couldn't just throw it out or today you can't just throw it into your compost pile. You have to burn it. Otherwise, again, it will bring you misfortune, mishap, and bad luck for the entire next year. And They made a big deal about this stuff in the old days that 
when you'd bring holly inside, it was thought that if it was a smooth holly, the leaf was smooth, it was called she holly. And that meant the woman would run the house for the next year. But if you brought in the holly and it was rough and prickly, it was he holly, which meant the man would run the house. Of course, back then it was usually a man and a woman. So you could get away with those, those things today. Today, I don't know how you'd go about that, but yeah, if it was smooth, it was she holly. If it was prickly, it was he holly that was brought in. Well, I guess you have to flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I feel a lot of domestic disputes coming on here. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't limited to people. that It was thought that if you fed your livestock these plants during the winter season, they would produce more, they'd uh, be healthier, and it was a big thing to do to throw it in with their, their food and their grains or whatever you were feeding them. If you could throw some uh, holly and ivy in there, not so much the mistletoe, um, that it was thought to bring good fortune to you. I think I'm leaving the holly at, outside. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, it's amazing the, the, the depth of the, some of the symbols that we see every single year. And like, even some of some of that story, Chad, that you just said, I had again had no idea about. Like, there's more every single time that we talk about this subject. So, to move on from that, because now I know I'm not having Holly in my house anymore. Uh, the <laughs> the idea of elves and little people, because I, I mean, I think these guys again is one of those things we you know we've all got elves. A lot of kids have their elf on the shelf this year. They may not by the time the episode's over, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people have, uh, and a lot of cultures have the affinity for uh, the little people and elves and things like that. So let's chat about that a little bit. Yes. Obviously on the farm, the little people, the elves, the gnomes, they would help out around the farm. Often they were invisible unless they didn't want to be. They would often live in your barn or up in the stable or the hayloft, and they would help out around the farm. And they were said to be able to communicate with animals. They could heal minor ailments of the animals, and they would make sure that your livestock produced, that your crops were plentiful. But during the winter season, especially around the Christmas time on the calendar, they would want to come inside and warm up and relax. So they would often gather around the hearth and enjoy the fire, but it was expected that you would leave offerings for them, whether it was some porridge, some tobacco, some baked goods, even some spirits, some alcohol for them so that they would continue to help you around the farm. Now, it was advised that if you didn't do this, all of a sudden, maybe your livestock went lame, your crops died. Maybe you started stumbling around and finding yourself the victim of more accidents. This was because you did not appease the little people, that you had to leave out these just minimal offerings, just the basic smallest thing you could do, leave out some milk and you'd be covered for the entire year. Yeah, like these these critters, like it's it, it's always been a bit of a point of interest for me and I'll, I'll tell you guys briefly why there was a story years ago that has always stuck with me and it was on well chad you used to be on this show um monsters and mysteries in america 
And I will always, this story stuck out to me because it was about a woman who had some pretty bad luck befall her and her family. And she ended up moving into a farmhouse and this, this little house that was seemingly really nice. They were, you know, her and her kids were trying to get back on their feet. Husband had passed away, I believe. And, uh, they had a shed on the house, like on the property. And it wasn't long after they moved in that they realized like none of their animals, none of the neighbor's animals would go near the shed. And the sh- it was freaking them out it, to the point where they felt like something was there that shouldn't have been. And as they were you know, going about their daily lives, they would lay in bed at night and they would hear something running on the porch, like these, these feet, like just boom, 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 running quickly on the porch. And the one day, I guess they had been out somewhat late getting groceries, came home. She had her grandson with her and she, her grandson all of a sudden looked absolutely petrified. Like all the color drained from his face. He looked down the driveway and what was coming up the driveway was what she described as like a living garden gnome this thing walking up the driveway and she said it was terrifying. Like it scared her so badly. She grabbed her kids. She ran in the house and this thing then spent the next number of months trying to get in their house. And it turned out that she wasn't the only one that had the problem with this thing. There was the the lady who lived there before they had moved out because of the same thing. And they ended up connecting on a, on a, a forum online and whatnot. But it was just like, that story always stuck with me. And I mean, she was, and this was in Porterville, California, by the way, this wasn't in like Scotland or something, right? Like this was this little town of Porterville, California, right near the the Thule River, where it said that these gnomes, uh, and in that area, they're called water babies. But in the, in that area, that's where these things are supposed to, supposed to live. And that story has always stuck with me. So every time I think of like elves and gnomes, that's all I can think of is this thing walking up the driveway. I don't know why, but water babies creeps me out more than elf or gnome. I don't know why. I agree. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just, it's crazy. So yeah. So elves, elves and gnomes, I, I, that's, I don't know. That's my elf and gnome story, but, um, but yeah, like a lot of these, a lot of these critters, like they're seen as, as, as beneficial, uh, to farms and, and things like that. Um, I don't know. Do you, what do you, what do you think, Chad? Yeah. The interesting part I think is that, you know, it doesn't take much for you to leave out offerings, but, and the rest of the world believes in these things. It's not just North America. You have the Nyssa and the Tomtin and all these farm creatures, And the question for me has always been that I start to wonder as more and more of us leave the rural countryside to live in towns and cities, do these little people come with or do they remain on the ancient land? And for me, I leave out offerings just in case they're here in the city with me. But it's a great question of what happens to this folklore when it doesn't pertain necessarily to them helping out around the farm? Do they then help around on your house or your yard or your apartment. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what got me about this particular story on monsters and mysteries was the fact that it, you know, it, it was a modern day setting, you know, they weren't out this, this wasn't a a little acreage out in the middle of nowhere. Like they were 
you know, in Porterville, like this was a, a community. And I think that's one of the things that caught me about this story is because you think, of, you think about these things in farmland or country or whatever. And mm-hmm. here you are in the middle of, of California, you know, where there's lots of people and, uh, you know, here we, here we are. So yeah, phenomenal anyway. So keeping with tradition and things like that, there's also a pretty interesting history about the idea of Christmas caroling as well. Can we let's let's chat a little bit about that because I mean it's that's a tradition that's kind of going by the wayside a little bit. I like to think that it's hopefully making a resurgence and not in the way it used to be here in America where you'd go door to door just kind of uh knowing your neighbors. Yeah. But now it's more of a group getting together and just kind of going through neighborhoods where people will come out but you're not necessarily going into the house and the like, but here in America we really, and North America as well, we really don't know the history of caroling, of we partake in it. And like many of the folklore and the rituals and superstitions of the season, we really just do them because we brought up doing them, but we don't really think of their origin. So most scholars think that the origin of caroling came from Europe as everything seems to have come from there. And it's the wassailing where you would go with a bunch of your friends to home to home with your wassail juice, uh, spiked cider of sorts, alcoholic, of course, and you'd go door to door and you'd be dancing and singing and maybe putting on a small play and you'd offer a drink of the cider. And in exchange, they would give you food, drink, or coins as payment. Think of it as an early trick-or-treating of sorts where you'd go door to door and eventually that started spreading to the orchards, all the fruit orchards where you would gather sometime during the 12 days of Christmas or in the winter season and you'd start singing songs around the tree. You'd pick one or two of the most prominent or important trees in the orchard and you'd start singing and you'd be dousing your uh, cider on the tree as an offering. And when you were done with all that, you pull out your weapons and start shooting at the trees. What? <laughs> and the reason for that is all the shots from the shotguns and rifles would scare off all the evil beings in the orchard and it would make the trees grow better. Uh, yeah, I'm sure the trees were happy with being shot at. <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets better for the tree because after you shoot at it, you take these big sticks and start smacking it in the trunk to wake the tree up so that it would have a plentiful bounty the following spring, that you would wake it up. And of course, eating and drinking and alcohol and shooting guns never goes wrong. (laughs) No, I've never heard of that happen, ever. So the idea was to make as much noise as you could, which then, as we morph and progress into American caroling in the early days, People would go out with pots and pans and buckets Mm. and they'd drum and they'd make as much noise as possible while caroling, not only to bring joy and camaraderie and a sense of community to the town, but to scare away all those evil spirits lurking in every nook and cranny back then. (laughs) I mean, it must have been exhausting in those days to be afraid that everywhere you turned was something evil. So usually it meant fire and noise would repel that. Mm-hmm. What, what a time, hey? Oh, boy. Like, it's just, it's phenomenal. And I mean, 
uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing, and it brings it brings us actually to the to the next one, which I think is so associated with Halloween, which is telling ghost stories by the fire, talking about right. like creepy weird things, um, you know, and and like you were saying, Chad, just, just being afraid of so much of what's out there, and and uh, uh, and and telling ghost stories by the fire you know we we think of ghost stories in regards to you know the christmas carol and and things like that we we just did a uh we had Alison Jornlin on and we were talking about the the very sordid history of charles dickens um mm-hmm. but uh ghost stories by the fire is a christmas thing as well first of all i love Allison. uh she's great um second yes traditionally people think of halloween as the time to tell spooky stories but Throughout our history and the world's history, winter, especially around the Christmas season, was the best time to tell ghost stories. One reason for that is it was believed that Christmas Eve was a night in which spirits could not come back and haunt you or get you. Contrary to a Christmas carol, when Scrooge is visited by the three spirits and Marley as well, Um, It was thought that you could talk about them all you wanted, bring up stories, ghosts, goblins, ghouls. There was nothing they could do. It was a sacred night. So you were free to tell ghost stories around the fire. And when you think about winter, it makes a perfect time for ghost stories. It's dark, very early, where you're limited because you're sitting next to the fire for light and warmth and heat. So whether you're playing musical instruments or maybe reading from a holy text or whatever your family did, you'd often tell ghost stories. And my favorite piece of folklore surrounding ghost stories that I dug up was the fact that it was believed that if you were sitting around telling ghost stories, if your shadow was cast on the wall and you did not have a head on your shadow, it meant you were going to die within the next 12 months. Oh boy. Oh, cheery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I can just imagine families scrambling to make sure everyone has a head on their shadow. Wow. And they even took it a step further saying that maybe if you had a half a head, you'd make it six months. Oh, grandma's only got a half a head. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's wild. Like, you know, if you, if you really sunk yourself into, to most, most of these traditions, (laughs) I mean, Christmas would be a very terrifying time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is for some anyway. <laughs> it, is, it is for some anyway. Yeah. And so if if by some chance you make it to Christmas Eve, <laughs> Christmas Eve is full of its own superstitions and whatnot as well. Um, it, well, including a lot of things, including, you know, uh, like traditions that we know which is like leaving cookies and milk out for santa and and mm-hmm. things like that but that's not it <laughs> are those innocuous now i'm starting to wonder all these little traditions that people have throughout history around christmas that are so cute and seemingly innocuous are they actually have some really scary root again for the the leaving offerings for a supernatural creature which santa or saint nicholas or belsnickel all the gift bringers they were supernatural. Leaving them offerings came from the old elves and trolls and fairies again of leaving out offerings so they wouldn't uh, curse you. But over the years, as as Christmas especially has become more Hallmarky, and don't get me wrong, I love Hallmark Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was more cheerful, like just leave Santa and his reindeer some 
food to energize them, not so much so that they won't stuff you in the bag and take you away to hell. (laughs) It was more of, well, Rudolph needs a carrot, so you better leave him something. Mm -hmm. But today, what I really love is the, the idea of reading Victorian ghost stories on Christmas Eve has made a huge resurgence where there are many bookstores that will sell you a small little one story book that's specifically from the Victorian era. It's a ghost story and it's meant to be read in about 15, 20 minutes on Christmas Eve. So those are exploding all over now. So people are really embracing the idea of Christmas Eve. And I could write an entire book about Christmas Eve superstitions and legends. And One of the weirdest tells that Christmas Eve is the one night in which animals are able to talk and you'll understand them. I love that. I love that. It's said to have originated back with the birth of Jesus, all the animals around at the stable and the uh, uh, nativity, that now every December 24th, they're given the ability to speak. But as tempting as it might be, it is said that you do not want to eavesdrop on them. Because one, they'll only be talking bad about you anyway, and who wants to hear that? Right. But two, it will bring you bad luck that if you eavesdrop on the animals and don't give them their privacy, you'll have bad luck for the entire next year. See, Mike, you can't have your cats in your room on Christmas Eve now. Oh, no. You see what's going to happen, right? (laughs) I'm kind of good with that because they act crazy. But anyway. It's it's because they're badmouth. They're trying to badmouth you and you're eavesdropping. That's what's going on. Speaking of crazy, here's the craziest Christmas Eve legend that Christmas Eve is also the night in which you can hear bees singing Christmas carols. Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite ones. I love this. What? And I always joke that who knows whether they're humming along with the carols or buzzing or what they're doing, but it is said that you can hear them, especially if you have some ground bees, you can put your head to the ground and you'll hear them buzzing along singing Christmas carols only on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's, that's I think crazy. that's one of, yeah, it's one of my favorites. And it was, it was in uh, 1889, the Kingwood Argus. Uh, and this is from your book, Chad, reported that bees sing in their hives between the 24th and the 25th of December, while mysterious bells can be heard echoing underground. I love that. I think that is so cool and so magical. That's it's just one of my favorites. It's just so bizarre and so weird that I love it as well. And it's it's more hopeful than some of the other Christmas Eve superstitions that, like Jesus, at midnight, you can pour water into wine, but if you drink it, you're going to die or you can sit under a pine tree at midnight. And if you hear angels singing or playing music, it means that you're going to see them very shortly because you're going to die. So a lot of these traditions were doom and gloom, but uh, whatever you do on Christmas Eve, it is thought that at midnight, you should open a door or window in your home to allow the spirit of Christmas into your house. And that if you don't, it'll bypass your house and go to your neighbors and they'll have a much better uh, Christmas season than uh, you will. Jeepers, creepers. That was a tale that was developed somewhere other than Alberta because it's about minus 40 by the time we get to Christmas. You don't want to be opening a door. No, no. Like, yeah. Oh, oh. But there, that's not the only the only issue with with Christmas. And we usually think that 
Santa is one of the prime, of course, was one of the primary figures with with Christmas. But there's also the Belsnickel as well, and this guy I didn't know about because I thought, you know, I was I was all read up on Krampus and I was all read up on on Santa, and I you know I thought I had my ducks in a row. Turns out I have no ducks and no row, and I. <laughs> And then there's the bell snickle. So let's talk about this guy because he is absolutely terrifying. He really is. And he's gone under the radar as Krampus gets all of the publicity and the PR. And Pelsnickel, as he was known in Germany, came over with the Pennsylvania Dutch and the German immigrants when they settled on the eastern uh, end of the United States. And it became Bell And Mm. he was very much like Krampus, where he was a man of the woods, dressed in a cloak. Sometimes he'd have horns or antlers, and he would carry a switch, a birch switch. And he would often show up prior to Christmas, that he could show up as much as two weeks before Christmas. And he would wear, you know, a cloak, and he'd look like this disheveled man of the woods, really creepy. He'd have a bag. And he would often announce his arrival at your house by taking his long, dirty, cracked fingernails and just sliding them across your bedroom window. Like, this guy's the then, stuff of nightmares. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it really was because parents, well, so then he would pound on your front door, demand entry, and he would let you plead your case, whether you've been good or bad, and he'd throw candy on the floor and Older kids knew better than to run to get the candy because if you did, he would whip you with the switch. And if you didn't, he would then leave and you could eat all the candy. Uh, Parents, for weeks on end before Christmas, if a child was not going to bed on time or maybe wasn't listening, all they'd have to do is say, oh, that sounds like the chains of Belsnickel out in the yard. Maybe he's already here. Needless to say, those kids would go to bed. And write themselves so much so that I have newspaper accounts that I discovered from the early 1900s out in Pennsylvania on the east coast of the U.S. talking about that Bell Snickle's too scary, that they need to calm him down because adults are traumatized still from early encounters with Bell Snickle riding at their house. And for a while, they did try to soften him up, make him more friendly, much like they did with the Yule lads, or now Krampus. Um, But in the 1930s, there was a movement to say, no, traditionally, he's nasty. Let's keep him nasty. So thankfully, they've gone back, for the most part, to the origins of Belsnickel, where he's just this terrible lurking threat that you certainly do not want arriving at your house. Yeah, I remember when I did last year, when I did... The I did an article for uh, Haunted Magazine about Krampus, and that was the one thing that really blew my mind was that a lot of these tales, especially in the rural European areas, and the, the like, Belsnickel, he's he's Dutch, I believe, right? I think he's Dutch. Well, they called him Dutch here in America because no one could pronounce Deutsch. Gotcha. Right. Uh, yeah. So the German Deutsch would come over, and they called them the Pennsylvania Dutch, Dutch. because Got here it. in America, you know. What's the matter? Yeah, but what well, you know, it's, right. yeah. But it's it's funny because yeah, when I when I when I did the article about Krampus, that's the same thing that I found as well, where there were like psychologists that were saying there are people that are coming to the West that have PTSD from when they were kids of people dressed as like 
Krampus, the Belsnickel or whatever, like breaking into their homes with the parents, uh, you know, approval and Whoa. absolutely dragging these kids like out into the yard. The kids are terrified. And I was I was blown away by how far these uh, like these traditions and legends actually went, and it just it really surprised me because here, of course, you know we see the the Krampus parades and we hear the stories, but you get into these rural little towns, man, and holy, like <laughs> you know your your life is on the line out there. It really was because some of the articles I, I dug up were telling that not only would Bell Snickle come and whip you with his switch. Which you'd survive, maybe not emotionally, but physically you'd survive. <laughs> but also that he would then snatch, much like Krampus, that he would snatch the very naughty children or the ill-behaved children and then go feed them to bears in the woods. Great. <laughs> so, Great. Yeah, again, you're right that it would just be terrifying. Imagine being nine years old and this thing just busts through your front door demanding things and your parents are like, have at our children. Oh, man. Oh, my God. And he's not the only, like, spiritual creature that, that lurks either. Another one that I did not know about was the Witch of Winter. I did not know about her either. And so let's let's touch on her a little bit because she is – she's got a phenomenal story as well. And she's uh, she's not quite as terrifying, though. I, I Lebefana wasn't as, as, as bad, right? I can't deal with any more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's soften it up a little bit here and then let's get to some female creatures because when it comes to terrorizing children, you know, monsters are equal opportunity offenders. And so Bafana, yeah, she starts out as this uh, tragic figure that she's from Italy and the three wise men, the kings on their way to see the birth of Jesus stop at her house and she's cleaning and they want rest and food and she provides it. So for her reward, they say, come with us on our quest to see the newborn king. And she says, I'm too busy sweeping, can't go. And as soon as they leave, she regrets it. So she gathers up her toys for the new uh, king as a present and bakes some cookies and can't find the wise men anywhere, lost them. So as her penance, she travels every uh, Epiphany Eve, which is January 6th is the Epiphany, the Feast of the Epiphany. On the evening of that, she travels the world looking for the lost child, and she'll visit every home she can, delivering toys, hoping that she can make up for not delivering toys to uh, Jesus. And she rides a broom. Somehow she got the ability to fly over the years. She always looks disheveled, covered in soot, because much like Santa Claus, she will come down the chimney into your home. And... If you leave out stuff for her, she will give you candy or treats and presents. But if you're naughty, she will leave you coal or dirty garbage or rotten food in your <laughs> stocking. But if you're really good, she'll clean your house for you, which is a, a nice little benefit. But much like Santa, do not stay up waiting to see her because if you try to peep on her, she will either attack you with her broom or throw uh, some of the ashes from the fire in your eyes. Like that's just it just doesn't get better, does it? Like <laughs> no. just just avoid the avoid these creatures at all costs is what <laughs> you know, and hopefully hopefully you'll you'll get some <laughs> some good luck out of it. Well th this is this is so fascinating and I I wanna I wanna end these tales with 
the 12 days of Christmas because that's, again, song we sing all the time, 12 days of Christmas. Most people know it. And it's got its own deep, dark history as oh, well. Oh, come on. It, yeah. I know. Oh. And, and, and it also has to do with werewolves, which is. What? Right? Yeah. Which is, which blew my mind, but makes my dog man heart very happy. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's like, this is ruined for me now. <laughs> so, Chad, let's talk about that. The 12 days, most people celebrated them after Christmas. So the 25th through the Epiphany on January 6th. Those were the 12 days. So when people tell you and say happy holidays, it's not because they don't like Christmas, but in the old days, it was more than one holiday. It was holidays. It was Christmas, it was the solstice, it was Epiphany, and uh, the 12 days in between. So people would say happy holidays to just encompass all of it. But yes, the werewolf thing, um, it was thought that this was the time when werewolves were most powerful, that they had free reign. And this is when some people thought this was the only time of the year, unlike on a full moon, they would only turn during the 12 days. And if you were born during the 12 days of Christmas, it was thought to be an ill omen, uh, bad luck, that one, you were gifted with the ability to see ghosts and have the sight, as they called it, and you could also heal people by laying hands upon them. But it also meant that you were cursed and you'd most likely turn into a werewolf because being born so close to the birth of the Savior, you were taking away the celebration. So you were cursed. How dare you be born during the 12 days? So whenever I'm at a lecture talking about the 12 days, I often ask if people were born and some people would hold their hands up and um, I'd always keep an eye on those people because at any moment they could burst into being a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you have the werewolves and the 12 days on January 6th is the last day. The epiphany is the last day you can take down your holiday decorations right. without bringing bad luck to yourself. You could leave them up all year round, but it will bring you bad luck. Um, so, yeah, during the 12 days, just so, so much like on Christmas night, if you burned elder, it would reveal all the witches and sorcerers that were around you in your neighborhood. Do you confront them or do you just avoid them at that point? Oh my God. I, it just, I love, I love these tales because it, do like doing the, 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 the artwork and stuff for, for winter legends and lore, it brought me such a new appreciation of winter that mm-hmm. I did not have before this. Like, and I mean, cause I've always loved Christmas, you know, my, my little Python Gale and he always has loved Christmas. I mean, it's always been a big thing in our family and whatnot but this gave me a whole nother look into all of uh, all of these dark months and it it is so cool Uh, chad has there been any folklore that you've heard of since you wrote this that you were like holy i didn't know well yes i'm always learning like right now i have a stack of probably 10 books uh just on the christmas season and folklore of the winter that i need to get to this season to go with you know my hundred other ones on this and i'm always learning stuff um one that i learned that is not super creepy and one of my favorites is in the 12 days too that in the 12 days that you are not to allow any stranger into your house especially if it's an animal because most likely it's a demon in disguise what? trying to gain oh, entrance. Geez. 
And I put that one in as just a passing comment in the book because there's so many. But one I just learned a few days ago was that um, you could get rid of mice in your home and you wouldn't have to worry about mice if you would wear clothing where the um, it was spun during Christmas Day. That if you spun yarn or a thread during Christmas and made clothing out of that, it would repel mice and other um, creatures uh, small little animals that would get into your home just by wearing clothes that were uh, made on Christmas uh, Eve or Christmas Day. Oh boy! See, if I would. Are you hanging in there, Mike? You doing okay? Yeah, I think I'm going to be all right. I'm just terrified of Christmas now. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike, whatever you do, do not die on Christmas Day because oh. the theory was that that was an omen that you weren't going to heaven if you died on Christmas Day. It meant well, you were going somewhere else. I'm just going to like be. <laughs> I, I, I'm sitting all alone at my place on Christmas, just terrified, just like, please don't die. Please don't die. Well, if you want some extra strength, you can eat raw eggs on Christmas morning. And it is said it will give you like Hulk-like strength for a while. Oh, okay. That you'll be able to lift heavy things and fight off things from eating raw eggs. Oh, my God. See, you're all set. <laughs> I'm all set. Oh my gosh, amazing. My friend used to uh, keep his Christmas decorations up all year so we could drink. <laughs> so <laughs> so he had his tree in the corner and it was still it was May and just a ring of uh of needles around the tree which was bare. <laughs> it was like, "Here, have a dr- Christmas drink." <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I may or may not be an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, as I say, always absolutely amazing. It really goes to show, too, you know, how it, our beliefs really do shape the world around us. And it, it's it's neat to see these, a lot of these studies coming out psychologically that of, of people that put up their decorations early tend to be happier. Um, it, it's so it's it's so neat to see how the the psychological side of this has changed over the years, too. You know, how it, it used to be, you know. Doom and gloom and death and hell, and now you know we've 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 managed to shift it a little bit, which is which is I think a really it. I mean, it's a good thing, but I, I love the I love the the creepy factor underneath of it. It's it's so much fun. It's so interesting. Yeah. Well, when most people complain about the holiday season, that it's become all about commerce and that buying as many most expensive gifts you can for people who don't want or need them. Um, I think knowing this stuff and a lot of the stuff we didn't even get to talk about of why we decorate Christmas trees or why we go caroling or why we do all these things. For me, it adds a lot more significance and meaning to the season. Mm -hmm. And I really embrace the fact that people have been doing this for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and that I'm continuing this tradition. So for me, it just adds a lot more significance to the season knowing the history of why we do these things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes it so much more meaningful and it, 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 you know, when I'm, even when I'm decorating my tree now, you know, cause we put little gold holly berries on it and, and things like that. I know why, like, I, I know why it's there. I know, you know, and there's a story behind it. And, you know, if, if I'm, you know, with somebody else, I can share that story with them or I can share that story with Galen or I can share, you know, it's, it's really, really cool. And it's, it does, it brings this, this depth of meaning that I, I absolutely love. And, you know, and yeah, there's so much more to touch on, which means we're dragging you back next Christmas. Uh, and uh, it, we'll, we'll talk about those as, as well. 
Um, but in the in the meantime, I can't recommend enough. Everybody go to chadlewisresearch.com and pick up Winter Legends and Lore. It is a fantastic book. It's got all of these and loads more of these incredible tales and this history that is so well done and is so well researched. Um, I was blessed enough to be able to do do some of the art for this book and the foreword, but it Chad brought absolute magic to this. And uh, so chadlewisresearch.com, go get it. It's, it's so good um, and whatnot. And Chad, you're doing like, a whole you always do amazing online presentations and library presentations what's going on with that this year i'll be doing some uh virtual programs again on my website and what i love about the winter legends book is that it's not that uh long it's only 100 pages or so so you're not like me where if you want to be bogged down of 400 pages on the history of the christmas tree good for you <laughs> but if you don't this is just enough to get wet your appetite uh, as I like to say that, you know, it gives you enough information, but doesn't bog you down. If you're just the curious, uh, regular average Joe, and you're not obsessed like we are. <laughs> what? You mean there's people that aren't like, uh, like us? What, what's, what's going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's, it's such a great point too, is that it's just, it's great tales without being long and, and wordy and delving into history. Maybe people that, you know, aren't like us are, not interested in so <laughs> but it's it, yeah, a great jumping off point. great jumping off point that's a great way to put it and it's 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 amazing so so yeah and if you guys are able to catch uh some of his his christmas stuff coming up please do it it's they're so good they're they're interactive and they're great and and amazing so chad thank you so much for for making sure their audience uh has a uh most terrifying holiday season <laughs> uh, thank you and time for me to go watch a hallmark christmas movie i'm just gonna go and uh, shiver somewhere <laughs> we've lost mike r.i.p <laughs> <laughs> well, <R>. mike <laughs> thank you chad <laughs> Again, once again, we had a great conversation with Chad. It's always a pleasure to talk to that guy. I don't know what it is about him. He's just so enthusiastic. Yeah, anybody that's got a passion for this stuff, I, I, I think it, it's so contagious. And you know, and, and I know with Chad too, Christmas is absolutely one of his favorite holidays, and it just it it comes across because it's one of mine as well. So mm -hmm. it's so neat to be able to now look at the Christmas tree, for instance, and see all these different symbols and know why they're there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, it's, it's fascinating. This, uh, I don't want to use that word again. Uh, <laughs> just learning about this stuff, you know, really uh, fills my heart with joy around this time of year. Like there's, there's so much that uh, we were not taught as kids. It's just like, okay, the reason we, the, we just put this on the tree. We don't talk about why we put it on the tree. We don't even talk about the reason we have a tree. Well, I think a lot of people don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I didn't know. Uh, it, you know, growing up or whatever. I mean, we never learned a anything like this. I mean, in, in school or any, and I think genuinely a lot of people just don't know. A lot, a lot of the traditions have been, you know, lost or the knowledge has been lost in, in Western society, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're, you're from and still practice the, the roots in which they come from. 
uh, sure. it just gets lost. And so now we've, you know, we've got these things that we, they look nice, but we, <laughs> we've no idea what we're doing. So the, yeah, I, I just, I find it, I find it just fascinating. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. So what are you up to for your Christmas dinner? Are you having the uh, the ubiquitous turkey or what are you doing? We are having the ubiquitous turkey. It's it's a very small turkey because I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's a turkey. And uh, and Galen, my python, I, I he may or may not have a Christmas mouse, but we'll see. But he's been eating a lot lately. He's been eating a lot. Well, it's his, it's his season of of chowing down just like it is everybody else's there you go <laughs> so he's gained a couple pounds but he's, <laughs> he's haven't we good. all yeah he's in his his christmas snooze right now but he's pretty excited for the holidays so he's uh he loves the lights and loves presents and and whatnot so it's always just a joy to watch him just get into the presents on christmas and it's it's a lot of fun people don't give animals enough credit they totally know what's going on we just want to wish everybody who listens to the show a Merry Christmas, and to say that you are gifts in our lives and not the kind that we'd return for store credit. So, <laughs> well, well, for those that are, we just won't tell you, but you know, right, exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I completely agree. It's just we're so thankful for, for all of you guys out there, and uh, and we love we love to be able to, to do this with you and learn with you guys and you know every every episode is something new so so thank you guys from the bottoms of our hearts it means a lot so eat drink don't drive and be merry and have yourselves a merry little christmas folks and remember the line between the natural and the supernatural is often a thin one until next time and 2024 stay curious friends ho 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 etc Supernatural Circumstances is a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can learn more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and learn more about me, Mike Brown, and listen to my show, Dark Poutine, at DarkPoutine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.